0: All right, welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, everybody. This week, I got Matt Spetz of Deer Nerd on here. And essentially, I'm going to let Matt really tell his story here. But he's kind of, I like to call it a deer-killing consultant. <laughs> so he's not much like, he's not a, a habitat type of consultant. He's just like, you know, I'm going to help you kill big deer on your property. And whatever that entails is what I do. Does that sound about right, man? Yeah, you got it.
1: That's
0: exactly yeah. Okay. So, why don't you like tell tell me a little bit about that like how do you how do you first of all how do you find like clients that could talk to you about that and they're just like, "Hey, help me kill stuff."
1: You know, typically it's been just word of mouth, you know. I've been around the state of Wisconsin a little bit, hunted around the Midwest and Montana for a few years, and it just seems that I end up in conversation with folks and I've done some some good work for some people and, you know, we, whether it's the conversation or uh, it's a, like a word of mouth referral, I just kind of get a, a client name, number kind of slip to me sometimes. And then uh, we connect and, and we, we just do some work. I typically do you know, a handful of uh, jobs a year. I don't try to, to take a lot of new people, but I always leave room for three new folks every, every year um, just because it's so uh, time intensive to really do it well. Uh, that's probably one of the differences between maybe just doing some habitat work and kind of focusing on the actual harvest or kill of the most mature buck on on a property so there's nothing we don't do or i won't do really to help somebody but uh i always start with what's your goal you know what's your goal and then a big part of the uh, assessments i do is the research on the context around someone's property or their hunts you know so i connect that context meaning location genetics what's even possible, uh, the, you know, the health of the herd, all those things, a lot of biology, and of course the habitat stuff, and then connect their goal to their, the context in which they're hunting and, you know, try to put good plans
0: together for people. Sure. Okay. So if you're essentially like hunting central Michigan public land, you shouldn't be expecting a 200 inch booner.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah it's one way <laughs> Exactly. You know, and it's, it's so, but it's interesting, right? It's so, it's so custom. And that's what I, what I really love about it. It's, I have people that have amazing properties that they're not necessarily after a booner every year. Their goal is simply to have uh, friends and family see a lot of bucks. You know, they're, they're happy. they're happy hunting and, you know, seeing three and a half, four and a half year old deer. I, I have people I help out that are, are actually hunting some public land and a little bit of public and private mix, kind of like how I do my own hunting. And they want to shoot the most mature buck, you know, that season with the bow maybe. And, you know, we put uh, comprehensive plans together, sometimes spanning, you know, two states even, just, you know, really looking at uh, someone's whole season, you know, and outlining uh, uh, the potential for, you know, where they might run into that uh, best buck of their life, hopefully.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds cool. That makes a lot of sense the way you approach it and the way you kind of put it together. So then once you're, once you're working with somebody and you kind of got the context, you're like, all right, for this general area, if you're trying to kill the biggest buck on this property, you know, where do you, where do you start? Is it just like a lot of game cameras to just like figure it out or, or, do you have a good idea? Do, is there a, do they have a, like a history on the property and they know generally where they're going or is it like brand new properties? I'm thinking maybe for this conversation, for the context of this conversation, we need to like set up like a fake, uh, an imaginary scenario so that we can like play through how you do something. But I, you know, does that make sense? Or should we rather just, do you have a, do you have a good property in mind that we can just run through?
1: Uh, you know,
0: yeah, but you know, I, I, we
1: might want st- to probably stay like a little high level for a while, I guess, and just okay. see, see if it starts to kind of make sense. Cause you can get in the weeds pretty, pretty quick, right?
0: <laughs> sure. No, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, you know, essentially, um, you know, I, I, I take a very, I'll take a, like a scientific, even a mathematical approach to just helping someone accomplish their whitetail hunting goal. Right. So The way to get it all—it all all depends. There's no one way to start, other than having a conversation on, you know, here's my goal, and here's where I'm hunting, and here's the resources at my disposal, if you will. Probably not the words that I've ever used, you know, actually working with somebody, but you know, for the sake of the conversation, you know, resources might be uh, someone has three lease opportunities. And they, uh, you know, they end up with saying, hey, I want to do a 10-day um if you will. Uh, I'm going to go to northern Missouri. And I'm um, looking at these three leases. They're within 30 minutes of where I found some lodging. You know, sometimes I'll just, I'll just do some analysis and point them in the right direction of which lease. And so make a lease sure. type recommendation. Uh, sometimes it's a, rec- a a landowner actually wants to know, should they keep their property? Now I can't oh, give, okay. yeah, yeah. So it's real comprehensive. You can't give like financial advice legally, uh, of course, you know, but a recommendation <laughs> from a hunting perspective on uh, that, you know, maybe, you know, selling the property a and flipping it into a property in a better location you know, providing a better context for their hunting goals, that actually comes up more often than you think. You know, so so again, backdooring into like how do I get clients, typically it's, you know, it's somebody that has they may have a conversation with somebody that just knows me and what I've accomplished in the hunting, uh, in my career and what I kind of do. And they might be actually saying, hey, I've had this piece of property for, you know, nine, ten years, maybe longer, maybe shorter you know, I, I can't kill these bucks I have on camera, I don't understand it, I'm getting frustrated, then sometimes that's, that's all it takes, you know, and then I, I end up, you know, meeting those, those folks. And again, it can turn real quick into more of a real estate type, tra- you know, analysis in that way, um, you know, so it all depends. So there's so, so, such a wide range of, of where they, these things go um that it's really hard to pick one, one out right um yeah. I, you know one thing i might want to do is you know how i hunt myself is probably a little you know it can be different than my typical client typical client owns their own property or they're going to invest a lot in long term leases you know they have a lease that they're going to keep for several years or they've had it for several years they know they can keep it same kind of deal as if they own it almost in a way um, but my, myself, uh, let's use that as an example. So I typically hunt where I'm my, I, I really push myself where I want to hunt a different scenario every time out. I almost never sit in the same tree. Um, I rarely hunt the same area. Um, in fact, I, the most, more unique of an experience, that's kind of really what I'm I'm looking out for, um, you know, on my kind of career would, would really show that too. A lot of, a lot of first sit kills, I guess, um, in, my, in my past, right? So if I were to say, um, well, I'll give you an example. I'm looking at partnering with uh, an old friend in, to uh, hunt Illinois as another state in the Quest Hunt Company tournament next year. I just hunted Wisconsin with a really good friend of mine, uh, Troy, this last year, we did well. Next year, I'm talking about hunting two states, uh, hunting Illinois with somebody else. Well, right now, um, I don't have any property in Illinois, and I don't have a leased piece of property. Uh, last time I hunted there was a couple years ago, and I had a pretty nice arrangement where I was helping a guy out and getting some permission to hunt, and now I'm basically starting over. So how I'm starting over is I'm going to look for um, affordable, you know, leases, possibly at first uh, that provide the, the most cover or the most diversity, uh, and seclusion. Okay. So one of my principles is all about seclusion. So the oldest bucks, which typically will be your biggest bucks, not always, but most of the time they are going to live and thrive and be active during daylight hours, the furthest from human pressure that they possibly can live. That's a fact. That's the number one principle, you know, for deer nerds. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at leases in Illinois in this possible example, if I figure out that I want to go down and do that next year, right? I'm going to look for leases in very rural, um, you know, out of the way places in good counties in Illinois that have a lot of cover and are hard to get to. If something will take me a half mile to walk to just to get to the property border, that's where I'm gonna start. I'm not gonna grab the one that's got the paved county road access and a, you know, and and a and a farmhouse on the northwest corner of it as an example. Okay, sure. so so now linking back to you know how do I start once I start working with somebody, uh, which is a great question. I'm always gonna look at that number one principle. What do they have for seclusion? Uh, what do they have for sanctuaries?
0: And I'm going to work off of that information first. Okay, sure, that makes sense. So um, I think you there's a, you said a lot of things there. I took down a lot of notes right there. Um, the first one, can you can you give uh, an overview of Quest Quest Hunt Co.? Oh yeah, what that is and 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 you did really well in it last year. You won the big buck contest. And you guys got, was it seventh place overall? Yeah. 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 I mean, okay.
1: So, Well, Quest Hunt Company sp- uh, started by, you know, two great dudes down in Missouri that uh, had a lot of experience with like bass tournaments, I guess. And that's the hobby that they had. Uh, so they were just, I guess, brainstorming one day and thought, well, what if we could bring a little bit of a bass tournament feel to whitetail hunting? And, you know, it was a great business idea, in my opinion. And I'm uh, one who's always been a pretty competitive guy and the older I get the further away from athletics I am obviously. So <laughs> pushing myself in the, in the hunting, uh, anytime right. I can hunt the way I, I've done that naturally. Like that's just, that's just who I am. So it's just like, Oh, I'll, I'll give this a try. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I've got a, a great friend in, in the West side of the state of Wisconsin that, uh, hunted, I've hunted with this guy named Troy for a couple of years. And, As a matter of fact, we'll be going, uh, setting some stands on on our property over there tomorrow, um, heading west to do some scouting for our own hunting. Um, But anyway, you know, so we thought let's throw into this thing and let's uh, see what we can do. Um, So basically, it's a, a pretty cheap entry fee and they're heavily sponsored. They give away hundreds of thousands of dollars in prizes. And, you know, you kill your deer, follow the rules, do it legally, pass a lie detector test if you're in the top. You know, top 10 in the state uh, as a team and total inches gross. And then then you can win some prizes and they throw a pretty nice uh, banquet and party. And um, it was really it's it's a really good company and a lot of great people, you know, you know, are involved there. And we met right away just just from being involved one year. Um, you know, so the big buck side pot, you mentioned that uh, I forgot I even did it. So that it's. <laughs> Funny as part of the story. So, so, you know, I, I re- we registered months before, you know, deer season started, Troy and I, and uh, I remember I, now I remember in hindsight at the time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm re- entering online and it's like, do you want to enter the big buck side pot for another 50 bucks? I'm like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to bet on myself. I always have. In life, <laughs> right? So I, I, I forgot, no idea. I didn't remember or nothing. So we we're at the banquet and, you know, one of the owners, I think it was Jeff, he comes by and he's like, hey, you did really well, you know, and whatever. And, you know, I think you got the big buck. And I kind of look at Troy, he looks at me and Troy's like, did you enter that? I'm like, I, I don't think I did, you know. And then <laughs> a, few, a few minutes later, um, you know, you know, yeah, I did. I did. I was called up with some other guys uh, that won big bucks in their state. That was pretty cool. Um, and, and, and honestly, that was a special kill anyway. Uh, it was just this one, you know, it's this, in my life when I'm hunting, I've been uh, fortunate to be, I've had a lot of, I've been very fortunate and very blessed and have a very successful, you know, career myself and even more success helping others. Um, and that's what's really cool is when someone shoots their best buck. But in this case, um, you know, that, that deer that I shot was one that, you know, I happened to pass the year prior on a new ground mission, you know, sit on the grass, strip of land, just kind of like a scout hunt and kind of predicted that I'd I'd get one. That was September. And sure enough, I I video this deer and pass the deer and I'm just sitting by a barbed wire fence with my bow. And I wanted to shoot him so bad because it was like a cool, just a nice sunset that night, early season. I'm like, ah, but he just was, you know, just one of those, he's real pretty, but like he got it. He, Bigger, you know, and it was like my first hunt that year. And uh, after that, I saw him one other time, and then uh, it was getting closer towards mid October. I'm like, I want to kill that deer, I wish I (laughs) would have killed him a couple weeks ago. So I just kind of kept talking about him and thinking about that deer, and uh, no one ever saw him again. And uh, I just had a feeling he was still around, and um, you know, put basically put my whole spring scouting for myself. Kind of hinged on that animal, and he had a unique. Uh, he on his right side, I think it was the rear, uh, rear hoof. If I remember right, he had this little. There's a little mark on it, right? And so some. I do a lot of my scouting by tracks, you know. So it was a. I was able to realize he was still around in the spring when I tried to find his antlers. Never did. Covered many, many miles. Uh, Troy covered many miles. You know, as my partner, we just never really picked up the deer shed, but. Kind of thought we that deer was still alive, and uh, lo and behold, he was, and, and did a hang and bang uh, based on the wind first day of uh, Wisconsin archery. Killed that deer, which qualified, you know, us high up yeah. for the fall. Cool other part about it is Troy, on the same property, uh, about a half mile away, um, he shoots a beautiful nine-pointer with the bow in October, so, we actually placed in Wisconsin, and I think we're the only two that went top 10 where we didn't have a gun kill and we didn't have a rut oh. bow kill, even. So, you we're didn't very have a what we didn't have a rut bow kill. So, oh. we, we shot two nice bucks um, based on a lot of the deer Nerd principles. That's how we set the property up um, with, with bows prior to the rut. And we didn't need to kill one with the gun to still place. So, you know, that's another kind of a testament to the system, I guess. And, um, in fact, a lot of the strategies are designed to, you know, to, to, to get in and get an opportunity right away um, yeah. when you're chasing a big buck versus wait till a lot of the pressure comes And Especially rifle season changes everything, right? So Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I blended a few things there for you. I hope I didn't get too too wonky, but, you know, <laughs> so Quest is a good deal. I highly recommend it. I'm kind of helping them a little bit out from, like, uh, I think I'm on the team, I guess. And, you know, if you sign up, you can put Nat's bets there. I don't even know how that works, but uh, that'd be kind of cool. And, um, you know, and it's just a, it's just a good group, and there's a lot of awesome, awesome people down there. And, you know, guys brought in 200-inch bucks like Iowa, Missouri. So it was really neat to meet, you know, everyday hunters like us that, you know, um, that shot these you know 190s and 180s and 200 inch deer. And to listen to those stories, that was like the highlight. We spent a whole weekend just meeting people, uh, drinking, uh, you know, bush light and and talking hunting. And (laughs) and that doesn't happen without this class
0: thing. So it was pretty neat. No, that's, that's awesome. So what I remember seeing that buck like right away on my Instagram feed, like holy shit, he did it right away. What uh, what was you guys got seventh place, and not that like so that what you just said about these giant bucks that scares me because like I don't want to enter and just throw away my money because I don't have you know one eighties one nineties running around. Yeah. But uh, what did what did you guys you guys got seventh place? What it what was the buck you shot? And what was the buck Troy shot? What was the like, the total inches there? I believe mine grossed out after drying of like like right over one fifty,
1: one fifty and a half and a half I think and Troy's was in the 130s I think one thirty. Okay. So Wisconsin Wisconsin numbers were were you know more realistic I you know the the guys I was referring to are the Iowa and Missouri guys were down there at the same time as us sure. you know, so, so we're at the same banquet and you know guys from Iowa are bringing their top 10 bucks in which are you know, right. of 90s, two hundred inchers and so we got to see see them. But you know, Wisconsin's a little, you know, just not like those states. There's more, uh, it's more, there's more ability to compete there, um, for sure. sure. You know, you you shoot two good deer, you and a partner. I mean, you'll be okay. And it just, you know, it's not really about winning anyway. I, I think it's about part of it's like, you know, just being a part of something. It was kind of cool to, you know, just see other other. You know, people and how they were entering a lot of husband-wife teams, and some of them those okay. teams did really well. And you know, oh, and then uh, you know a little bit of trash talk when you know we knew other teams in Wisconsin, kind of that were that entered too. You know, so that's kind of fun. It just added yeah. adds a little bit more to the season. Now I know there's some people uh, that you know just don't think the the tournaments and those kind of things belong in hunting and you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I I disagree, I guess, just don't, don't do it. You know, if you don't, you don't think that that's for you. Um, for me, I love to be challenged, right? So like, I, you know, I want to be pushed and I want to push myself. And if that's a contest or just a tough buck to kill or a a new property to, to dominate and learn, I don't really care. I just like, I like a challenge. So that, that's kind of who I am. And, why I think that they got a bright future ahead of them, these quests, the quest on company. And, you know, so I'm going to do it again. I know that.
0: Yeah, no, I, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm, I'm personally like, I mean, I'm going to go out there and try to kill the biggest buck I can anyway. So why not throw in for something like that? Like in, I, I, I'm on board with you. I don't think there's any issue with having a tournament of people who are going to kill these deer anyway. And, you know, and it, right. and then they, you know, you can enter in and possibly win some prizes for something you would do anyway. You know, like there's nothing wrong with that, yeah. in my opinion. Um, I and I highly doubt people are going out there. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple bad eggs, right? People that are going out there and poaching deer and throwing them in there or something like that. But like you said, those people would have to do lie detector, and and those people tend to do that anyway. <laughs> and they're not, yeah. they're going to do it regardless of whether or not in the tournament. Yeah, and with such uh, great prizes at stake, you know, I mean, it's it's almost
1: impossible to get, you know, to get away with doing those nefarious type things anyway. And someone's going to turn you in, you know. I mean, there's, right. it, it's it's not even, you know, it's not even worth it, right? So I try to not, you know, I personally try not worry about the others, you know, what they may and may not do, and just kind of focus on me and my partner and you know, clients and stuff that are, are and friends that are you know, going to jump in and do this. The other part about the entry fee, though, is there's massive discounts. I, I would be, you know, remiss if I didn't That's bring right. that. Uh, I think they have 30 some partnerships, um, a lot of great brands. Uh, Matthews is one, for example, and, you know, many great brands and huge discounts, like some of the best I've ever seen, uh, you know, and I've been a part of several, you know, teams and pro staffs and different things in the last handful of years off and on and you know, and just like, or been offered some stuff. But this really is a pretty comprehensive, really good discount program. So, you know, enter for 75 and you might save yourself hundreds on stuff you, you're gonna buy anyway.
0: so. Right, yeah, if just for the discounts. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking about that, yeah. Cause it's like 30 to 40, it's like 20 to like 40% off, 50% off on some things.
1: Yeah, there's some good ones, some really yeah. good ones.
0: For sure. Um, all right. So off of, off of Quest Hunt Co, the other thing back to kind of just like hunting in general, um, when you're looking for leases, you, your biggest thing was seclusion, right? Cause that's where the biggest deer are. That's where you're going to find the most. Yep. What about um, when you're looking at a lease or a property, what about the size? How does that play into it? Or does it?
1: I don't think it does. You know, so, you got to think, um, now I'm an, I'm, I'm a, a, big geek, right? So I'm a finance guy and a strategy guy and an ec- economics guy. So I'm going to apply some of those, that terminology to, to hunting to your question in particular. So think of macro, like whole, large, and then, then micro, you know, so you can have the right 40 acre piece of land if it's embedded in the proper macro habitat or area sure. um, then it doesn't matter. So, mean I'll give you one example. The best lease that I ever had was a very cheap lease. It was 60 acres in Northern Missouri. I had that lease for three years. That lease was, uh, it was actually a half mile of uh, easement through another property uh, that didn't have any pressure. Um, and it was embedded within a section of land, and it was all the nastiest grass and ditches around the whole section of land, which is about you know 640 acres or more, right? Um, so I was able to get a hold of the center of that, which had the nastiest cover. And so what happened is, is oh, you know, it took me a little bit to learn it because a, I lived uh, nine hours from the property uh, and had a job I couldn't leave off. And the, the, the first two years I had that <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was killing me being way up in Wisconsin in the North and knowing I had that property, I couldn't get to it. But either way, um, you know, what, what I found was, is, um, uh, basically it was almost like a, an X mark the spot. There were, uh, macro funnels going from Northeast to Southwest, and the same kind of thing from the northeast, I'm sorry, from the northwest to the southeast. And it was almost like different deer would pass kind of right through that 60 acres on two different edges of it. It's almost like an X marks the spot with embedded within that 640 acres around it. You know, so there was zero food on that property, or I shouldn't say that, there was no agriculture on that property. There really wasn't a good oak stand either. Uh, but there was on the properties next to it and around it, you know, so really found the uh, the best funnel, if you will, or best couple funnels that really, uh, uh, you know, a square mile of land within a square mile of land. It was the, the hot spot, and I was able to lease it. Um, it just was it was just hard to hunt. People didn't like it. Right. They couldn't get to it. They didn't want to do the walk. Uh, they couldn't set stands. It was very awkward. I had to hunt off the ground. Actually, the only buck I killed off that property, I hunt, I shot off the ground with my bow. You know, just it was an awkward piece to hunt. Um, but it was just was crawling with mature bucks uh, every year. There was one in particular. He was uh, the third year. He would have been a gross somehow of a booner. It was just massive and old deer, probably six and a half or so years old. Um, I kept getting close to that deer. I just couldn't get an arrow in him. It was uh-huh. a thing. I chased him all three years, even the year I shot a smaller one, just because I needed to be done. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and I didn't think he was around anymore. Uh, he was there earlier in the year. And anyway, uh, I don't know where that deer ended up going uh, closer to the rut, but he'd be there pre- And, uh, you know, it was just, um, a crazy, awesome chase, but I would, I'd have to sit on the ground around this 60 acres of ridges and hills and, uh, you know, just chase them around. But anyway, that would be a great example. It's, it's not about the size of acreage, really. It's not, it's about the greater context and you got to look at the whole section of land. I mean, I don't know what the recent research is, is out there, but deer definitely, they move, right? They don't. Just, they don't follow property lines. You know, I don't mean right. that, you know, I mean, actually, literally, sometimes they will walk a property line, but they don't know it's a property line. <laughs>
0: so
1: yeah. They don't know it's a difference or some kind of a fence line or distinguishing habitat difference. But, um, you know, deer are, are, it's nature and nature does what nature wants to do. Um, so it's about finding the right piece.
0: Sure. So what is the, like, I mean, I would imagine like a half acre piece is a little bit small. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, so I, what, what's like is like a 10 or a 20 acre or is it like 40, the least you're going to look at? Um, I don't know that I would particularly look at anything smaller
1: than a 60, a 40, a okay. 60 um, myself, but you know. So why,
0: like, why is that? What, what's, what's holding you back like what's in your brain like man i just can't set enough stands i don't think it's enough to really pattern them and get a good feel for them or
1: yeah uh, yeah i mean all those things and then just ultimately you want you want some diversity too you know you can also well the other thing you can't control is the wind you know so oh sure it, yeah you need to have some options um and, okay. and, and i'm a big guy like i mentioned i don't like sitting even in the same tree more than once. I mean, I, I will if I think I need to, but it's rare. Um, that, so that being said, you know, I, I personally, I want as much space as I can get. That said, if, it, if it's the right 40 and the right 60, the right smaller piece, like an 80, where you can have some diversity um, and where you might have some public land options on the side, then I take a hard look. The Missouri one I spoke of I also hunted two public pieces of land when I would go down there on my hunts. So I would actually relieve pressure on my lease by hunting public, even though I had a paid for lease. I've done that my whole life whenever I've had. So I, I also look for other places to hunt. So there's some things I won't do. Um, You know, I matrix out my my days when I can hunt and I'm, I'm plotting wind and everything like that. And if I, can't get where I think I need to be uh, on that day, I won't go into the property period at all. You know, so I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'd rather go scout another piece or, or do like a scout hunt on a piece of public. And I, I've actually had a lot of success doing that. So sometimes, you know, it takes a lot of pressure off. It's like, you know what, I can't go there. I know better, I'm not going to hunt on that property today. I'm gonna go and drive 30 minutes and try this massive piece of public out get off the grid you never know what you find I and mean, I've shot deer that way and I know guys have shot deer that way too uh, personally you know and you know that's something to think about oh yeah uh, back- it makes,
0: yeah that makes back- a lot of sense
1: when you when you invest some money
0: yeah I we yes yeah, So my family bought 110 acres um and I hunted it a lot last year and I hunted it a lot because I wanted to learn it. And I wanted to, I know I, I'm, I know I screwed up. I, I watched deer blow out. Um, but it was my first year hunting it. So it's kind of just like, I'm learning it. I'm figuring it out. Um, but there is also a very large chunk of public within a mile and a half. And I scouted it. I was going to hunt it before we bought this property. So I was already out there scouting it and looking at it. And I have a few great spots on there that work really well for specific wins. And those wins are good on the public when they're not good on my property. So it's actually a good dynamic for my entrance and exits, you know, onto that, onto that piece. Um, it's just, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what makes you, uh, what would make you not hunt your lease? You know, you said yeah it's a bad day to go.
1: Definitely the wind. Winds the first okay. access, right? So it's it's not necessarily the wind in the stand, you know, during prime time or during say a lunar event when deer mature bucks are going to move or a high pressure system when mature bucks are more likely to move. It's not just that, it's really the even the wind going into the at, when you're going to go and head into to the stand. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, second, what could just be new information? You know, um, I just, I soak up everything, right? Like, uh, you know, you, for whatever reason, um, you know, you may have information or Intel that it makes sense to go on a different piece. Right. Um, you know, you could drive by that public piece heading back to wherever it is you're staying uh, from your lease and you could see mature buck, you know, boom, you know, zip across the road or, you know, chase a doe if it's rut. you know, I mean, that's been known to happen, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Driving back to the, to the campsite or the hotel or the cabin or whatever it is you stay in and, you know, you see something and it's like, oh my goodness, you look at your onyx and it's right there on the, on the border of the public, right? So then you yeah. go out, go after that deer the next day. Um, that that's been known to work uh, very well actually so it's always using you know your intel and the the main thing is and you know and I, I know I may offend a lot of people when I say this but man I'm not a camera guy I am not a trail camera guy I own, <laughs> I own, I own one camera and the only reason it's not two is because I did put a camera up when I was messing around in Iowa this year, and the thing wouldn't work, so I left, threw it right in the ditch, and it's still there. So if someone will pick it up. Maybe they can get that. <laughs> you know, but uh, no, and that's a true story. But no, so I got one left, and I don't know if I can even get that one or not. So my, I I truly believe that that um, um the best sign, you know, it's it's literally it's using tracking. It's the tracks. It's what you can see with your own eyes. So you hunt your property. You know, one day what you personally observe is going to mean more than than anything that came through there at midnight, one one a.m. in the morning, or whatever. You know. So um, I typically just absorb all that information as much as I can, and and then try to put that to work for me.
0: Okay. So one of the one of the things I always have problems with is when. I do see that buck like in the field, right? You're saying, like, on your way back, you're just like looking around, looking for deer in the dark. Boom, one runs across the road and it's right on the edge of public. And you're like, oh man, I want to go back. One thing that I always struggle with in that is like, well, if he's running this far, how much further is he running? Like, is he just going to run, you know, throughout the night and not even be close to the public? Or is he still going to be in that area? How do you think about that situation?
1: Well, if it's, uh, now the our our kind of our scenario you know not that we framed it up but the scenario i think we're both picturing is a little bit more rut time and chase. Yep. you know if if he's locked with a doe he's not going to be going far at all um okay. you know i'd say the same thing early season you know before there's a lot of pressure like super early where it's just about feeding and kind of Keeping safe. I don't think that deer is going very far. I think the hardest time to really know what to do in that scenario is that mid-October. You know, that's a sure. that's a that's a funky time. Now, I shot my one of my best bucks um, in a first sit kill hunt uh, in northern Wisconsin. I think it was like '06 um, in the middle of October. October, like literally October 16th. Um, you know, first time I sat in that stand was waiting for a very specific straight West wind, uh, scouted that property in April, set the stand in April, never went back. Um, and that worked out very well. I learned a lot from that hunt in Oh six, that hunt affirmed a lot of some things that I, I thought I knew, um, some things I watched kind of my old man do and I him have success, I started to connect a few dots about that time and that hunt really sealed the deal. Um, And that deer wasn't going anywhere. You know, now maybe if I don't see, you know, if I don't go hunt that stand in mid-October like that, by the time the rut comes around, maybe maybe he's not even using that same area. But in times of uh, no pressure, so it was late winter, all spring, all the deer are doing is trying to, you know, eat. They're not Really running from anything? Maybe natural predators, right? No one's hunting them. No one's pushing those deer. Um, And then pre prior to that pre rut, that deer was doing the exact same thing October sixteenth that he was doing April sixteenth. You know that that's what they will do, and they won't go far. You know they got the preferred bedding areas. They got their food source, and that that's it. Um, You know, so that would be a little bit wonky because unless you don't unless you know. That deer that you see, and it's mid-October. It might be tough to under no one understand where he is going, but right. if he's on lockdown,
0: you go right after him. I mean, absolutely. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so another thing you mentioned earlier. Um, so I want to get into. I, this is this is really intriguing me because I run a bunch of trail cameras. I run eight of them, um, nine of them. And uh, I use them to tell me a lot. The main information I use them to tell me is when deer are going west versus east or north versus south. You know, are they where like there's a lot of tracks in this area. The tracks are going both directions. They're obviously going somewhere in the morning and somewhere in the evening. And that's what I use trail cameras a lot for. I use them for that purpose. And then also I always like to just put them on scrapes because I think, that's pretty cool. And it gives you a great idea as to what deer are in the area. Right. So, but you, you said that you like to do tracking and you like to look at the tracks. Like you mentioned earlier, that one buck that you were after had a very specific track. I have zero clue on tracking. So enlighten me as to how, how you go about that. Like when you cut, you know, tracks and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. How so there's, it? yeah, there's a couple like just main, like, fundamental things that, that have always worked for me. Um, you just can't fake a huge track, right? A huge mature buck track, the size, you know, the width of it, the length, like that is that is what it is. They're very unique. So we've shot a lot of 200 pound uh, field dress deer growing up in the UP of Michigan. Now, those bucks may not have had awesome, great racks. Sometimes they're 120, sometimes mid-130s. Sometimes they were in the 40s, you know. Um, Great deer, uh, but heavy deer. And we would set our blinds, now this is back when I'm a kid now, right, more of a rifle hunt, um, on a vast piece of public land on a river bottom based on, you know, where the most mature buck was using which river crossing? That's how my dad would set all the hunters up. Right? He would predict which guy would actually shoot the biggest buck every year, even when it was when it, even when it wasn't me or him. He basically knew who it was gonna who it was gonna be as far as weight goes, based on how you read the tracks um, all spring long, and and that it was true every year. You know, so. You know, that's, there's a difference between that four and a half, five and a half, the best buck out there or heaviest and every other deer. You know, they also, uh, those bigger deer, the, they do not put a foot in front of the other. Like most deer do, they're, they're more of a wider, think of an athletic stance, you know, wide base. Sure. You sometimes spot that pretty easy too, depending, you know, if you got some good clay or mud or whatever. Um, so that's that's just the one thing about tracking. There are there are a lot of people better at tracking, I guess, than me. I wouldn't say that I cut a track and then hunt that same day. It's kind of how I scout, right? So that's that's oh, yeah yeah. I just want to make sure that I'm clear there. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's how I scout. It, you know, so it's you know the other thing is is I've had a lot of encounters where because of how I hunt and I'm always trying a different tree or a different funnel or a different slope on, on a hill or, or a grass or a fence line, oftentimes I've, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of the big deer I end up killing or the ones I want to kill and they're just not in range, right? And sure. hopefully hopefully I can cut their trail on my way back out at night. If it's a night hunt or in the morning, I'll go look. I'll go investigate out, you know, if I see that, that buck at 60 yards that I, you know, that now I want to kill him on a, you know, if it's a first hunt into a, you know, a new property or something, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I cut that trail somehow. And I'm going to look and, and identify exactly which deer that is. You know, usually I measure with something, take a couple good pictures. And then I know from here on out, if I really don't know if it's that deer, I, you know, I'll find out. It's worked a lot. So just even just measuring the length on a good clean track, you know, and then you can match that up later. Um, sure. you know, so again, not a lot of guys are getting on hands and knees and doing all that, but it works for me. Um, and it's part of the information that I use. Now, there is one time where I really do recommend trail cameras a lot of times to clients. Um, I like camera traps in, when we make new habitat. So I'll give you a great example. I'm gonna finish up a, an hourglass hinge cut. So an hourglass shaped hinge cut um, on a, in a on a 40 acre piece of a 240 that uh, the client is not hunting at this point. So it's a sanctuary, they're not hunting. They don't have a really good way to get into it. I'm gonna help them with that. And then embedded within that far uh, southwest 40, I'm gonna make this hourglass hinge cut I'm actually recommending that they do put a four way camera trap on that hinge cut. Um, and that just because it'll be so new, it's a very thick piece of timber right now. It's uh, it's flat. There's almost no habitat differentiation. There's no elevation. Um, all the trees are pretty similar. Um, so that's one of the reasons I'm doing that hinge cut. Uh, but the second thing is I think it's going to change the deer movement there. So I'm actually recommending that they do a four-way, meaning set four cameras in the same spot, basically, and angle four different directions for 30 days. I don't know. Like, I mean, right, like right on the edge of that hourglass? No, right in the center, right where everything comes together.
0: Okay. Just shoot.
1: to see how the doctor are going to use it? Yep. You're going to shoot. I'm going to draw it for you quick because this is something that, that's really cool. Um, you basically, so you get to set, so sure. the, you know, that's cut and that's cut, that's mature, mature, mature. So right where the sure. points come together is where I'm going to, I'm going to set a camera every direction there, right on, on the edges, because yeah. we're going to, I'm going to make four new edges within where there are no edges right now. Everything just looks right. the same. You know, and, and white tails love edges, so I'm gonna make edges. But then, because it's gonna be so new, you know, I'm gonna tell them take four cameras. I mean, I'll probably end up doing it for them, you know. But second, <laughs> yeah, well, no, on you know, because oh, a yeah. and then we're gonna do a 30 day camera study, and I'm suggesting basically like August 15th right through opener ball. Um, I mean, we you, there's really no point to doing it earlier than that, but you know, that's what I'm going to tell them. So if they'll do that, um, or want me to run it myself, either way, the great thing is it's going to be its own little case study. Right. So I'm going to plot every single mature buck movement on every picture of all four cameras in a spreadsheet. And then I'm going to use that for every, you know, knowledge for the future too. Right. Um, so that's the time, like, uh, flat out, I'm recommending someone use cameras. So it's not like I'm, you know, completely
0: anti-camera it's just... <laughs> no no that makes sense i mean yeah you can't deny the the information gathering of a camera right. it's just you know how much does it really help you kill that kill that deer I well, you know. go right back to human pressure if you're setting the
1: camera you're checking the camera you're you're changing the natural course of that mature buck's life just by doing it one time. I don't. That's just a fact, right? So you know you want to be very careful
0: uh, how much human pressure you know you're putting on your your best spots for sure. You know, sure. No, that, that makes sense. And I got some cameras out right now that I re, that I set two and a half weeks ago, and right now they're actually. So one of them's on the edge of a bedding area or kind of almost right in it. But it's I put it there because I wanted the video because it's just gonna be cool. <laughs> and I figure, why not do it now? I don't want to do it during season. Well, it's a, it's a nice spring that comes out of the side of the hill, and I just feel like I'm gonna get some uh some deer coming by and drinking out of it and stuff. But that's that's the only reason why I'm doing it. Um but uh so what you what you said earlier about cutting a big track right now in April, like whatever, you know, that buck's generally doing now, he's probably generally going to be doing the exact same thing in the general same area, you know, in September 15th to October 15th. So um, would you would you recommend that if, if people are going to get out and scout and, and, you know, reevaluate the property? For me personally, I'm actually leaving at 5 a.m. tomorrow to go, kind of do, I got to cut some new trails because my entrance routes suck right now to a certain portion of my property. Um, and I'm just going to cut, I got to cut some new ones that'll help me get in there a lot quieter and a lot less more, or a lot less invasive. Uh, and I know it's a good, like, I know it's a good spot, but if I'm, if I cut like big tracks then, then you would say like, you know, come September, you're probably going to see those good tracks again.
1: I think so. I mean, it's it's been yeah. Been true for, you know 25-6 years since I've been paying attention at least every, sure. anywhere I've hunted um, You know as long as the deer still alive, you know, they they do get hit by cars and you know and that kind yeah. of thing um, But typically right now they're they're back to where they need to be um, You know, so now I'll give you when I say they're back some deer don't don't really leave great areas probably more where you're hunting know the kind of the southern belt of Wisconsin or the farm country so I'm you gotta keep in mind too I grew up hunting big timber in the UP we didn't have farm and farm fields or anything like that so what our deer did and they still do there's very few left there but uh, the ones that are there they migrate quite a ways in the winter so once you yeah once you start getting into that November after the rot um, you know, end of November after rifle season, the deer move to basically they go north uh, towards Lake Superior because there are there's actually less snow falls, uh, less snow falls right on the lake shore versus like a couple miles inland where a lot of our hunting actually always has taken place. So the deer herd up and they move quite a way, quite a way. So what my dad would always do and he taught me is he'd wait, you know, till April they'd come, they basically come back. They, you know, they make their way back to their nat, their, their home area or whatever. And that's when they start establishing those patterns or reestablishing those patterns that they had last summer and last fall and last the spring prior. Um, you know, and it's, it's been, it's really cool to, to, you know, I do a lot of reflecting on a lot of that. Um, you know, especially when we're in the cabin and we see, you know, look, just look at all the mounts and tell the stories and, I think about a lot of those kills and, and man, like it, it just really helps um, really helps solidify a lot of those like prints. I call them principles, right? So when I do an assessment, client gets a huge report. um, You know, there's a a set of principles established and the recommendations are based off of those, you know, and um, it's pretty cool because I can show like a whole page of a collage of you know, you know, the biggest bucks, the heaviest and mature, most mature bucks killed those years, based on that principle back 25 years, right? So it's really cool to be able to do that. Um, You know, and then of course, it's always good just to to think about those hunts and, you know, those experiences in the past, but it really, it's really helping people now, um, you know,
0: just, just those basics of how, what deer do and don't do. Sure. No, it makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting that the that, that deer heading north, what you just said, that, I mean, it makes sense because snow, you know, won't accumulate right on the shore. It'll go in, in inland. But that's a no, that's a that's a cool tidbit. Um, I am also one of those first sit, first kill type of guys. I mean, my Onyx Maps has like 70 tree stand locations on it. It's, it's hard for me to sit in the same tree. I don't know if it's like ADD or if it's just like wanting to, to like get out and explore and see new stuff. Like even if I'm only moving 30 yards, I'll, I generally, it's hard for me to sit in the same tree over and over. But one of the things that, that burned me a little bit this, this last year was I was chasing this big non-typical and I was getting pictures of him on a trail camera during daylight hours in a specific area. Um, multiple times. Now, knowing what I know now of the property, I definitely like, I have a very uh, thorough game plan. If, if another mature bucks does the same type of thing, I I know what I'm going to do, but not knowing, you know, this property ever um, I went in there and I hunted it twice. Didn't see him at all whatsoever. Um, and there were my, my locations, similar wind. I sat, the trees were maybe like 20 yards apart. So very similar spots. Um, and I was hunting a general, there was a trail that I just kept getting pictures of him on. And he was on that trail every, at least every three to five days. Um, and sometimes they were daylight. Sometimes it was an hour after dark or something. And he was heading up to a food source coming out of a bottom, heading up to a food source. And, uh. And then the third time I was out there in early October, it was I think it was like October 5th, it was foggy, rainy day, which was also, I got more pictures of him on rainier days than on, you know, nice, sunshiny days, which was interesting to me. I just, I had no, like generally, like blue skies, high pressure gets them on their feet, not fog and rain and drizzle. But anyway, I went out there and I just like, I couldn't I was so indecisive which with what tree to set, sit in. I just ended up saying fuck it and I just picked one and just went up it and there he pops up. I I watched him stand out of his bed at 55 yards. So like I was like holy shit, there he is. Um and then he moved out of there. He he got downwind of me, blew out of there. But the the whole point of that story is as I have a question, which is if you know an area is good, yet you go there and you don't see the deer, you know, being a first sit, first kill type of person, how many times do you go back or do you not? Or do you move? Do you just say, well, he wasn't here tonight. Maybe he'll be here tomorrow because you have those guys who do well that'll hunt the same tree for four or five days straight and eventually they'll kill something. It might not be a very specific buck, but it, it'll be another mature buck that's u- using that trail. But you have other guys who go in and they'll sit that trail twice or that stand once or twice. They won't see them, and then they'll just be like, "Well, I gotta move on to a different area, or I'll come back there in a week or something like that."
1: Now that that's a it's a great question. I, you know, I think I think you like when I think about your last year, right? And everything that you just said—that's uh, there's a lot of good data in there. I still don't know that it's even even enough. So my my point is is you know you gotta you gotta know you gotta keep learning and observing and knowing even even more than that. So I would I guess I I wouldn't rule it out. Like to go back in that case. Um, I think that you, well, you know what you did, you, you know, you were literally hunting his bedroom, you know, if you will, I mean, if you can get 50 ish yards from a a buck like that, and I know which buck you're talking about, he's a big one, he's an old one, you know, that would have been an awesome deer to kill. Um, you know, he's, he's always going to be, he's betting right around there, those same times um definitely so you're almost too close if that makes sense sure um, you know you you can do that you can be too close I did that this year on my my Iowa hunt I bumped a dream buck um <laughs> the only one I was really gonna kill in Iowa uh, out of his bed on December 27th never saw him all year and I walked right up to him basically and you know and, yeah it was just heartbreaking and uh, there's me kind of, you know, like an idiot. I got a climber on my back, my pack on my climber, my arrows on my pack, bow in my hand, and I'm crawling up a ditch, literally hands and knees and kind of step up and, and there he is, steps out of bed behind a bunch of pickers at 30 yards. I mean, where I pretty much where I was gonna try to find a climber tree and, you know, and, and I, that makes me think of your, your deer and your hunt. Sure you were, you were so close, you know, you, you probably, if you picture the map and the aerial and I kind of remember it, um, you know, picture yourself, you know, where can you be? You know, you want to be a hundred, you know, maybe a hundred yards, give or take kind of away from that. Right. If you pin a bedding area as an acre, they don't even use that whole acre, but they, you know, they'll have a couple like high spots that they'll use within a little same triangle or something you know, you might want to be, you could even be a hundred yards away from that, maybe more. Definitely not where you you skyline yourself coming into a tree stands sure. for. Because they're they're looking when they're in their bed, right? So usually wind's at their back and they're looking somewhere else, typically. Um, and that's they can they're three sixty then. They can see everything or any predator coming. So, you know, um, I'm sorry, not wind at their back, wind in their face, and they're looking a different direction, right? So you got to be really careful. You can't get too close to the, if it's going in in a midday to hunt that evening, right? Um, So I don't know, I wouldn't rule it out. I would need a ton more information than that. I think a lot of those guys that sit in the same stand, um, they're probably killing rut deer, you know, where, that that's, that's a whole different ball game. You know, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about is, is like kind of an all season, you know, basically best practices to just get into a mature deer kind of before things get really weird and wonky, you know, those same things can work in the, during the rut. But, you know, at that time, you know, heck breaks loose and there's deer coming from different properties, you know, new bucks coming into areas. Um, you know, we just found out in hindsight, the buddy and I, that we were hunting the first week. I'm sorry, it was Halloween week, over in Dunn County, and I was hunting public land, um, on a in a climber, and my buddy was hunting at least a mile and a half away, but basically on the same ridge top. And I was I had this big buck come by three times, but he wasn't close enough um i could he was on the private and i was on the public and there was no way to get to him but i was already up a tree and a climber and he cruised the same ridge three times an hour apart seven eight nine about approximately i videoed him even i had this little camcorder i used to bring with me in my pocket because it had a good zoom it wasn't video it was just to zoom in and see whatever i video this buck and he actually came below me the third time and i knew he was good but he I just didn't really get a great, great look at him. Well, uh, later that day, my buddy um, um, had a crack at him a mile and a half way, away, mile and a half on the same ridge top, but to the south it would have been. And in hindsight, we realized it's the same deer, you know, like didn't <laughs> realize. And it's all timber in between. Like, I mean, it's, it's a lot of country you know, I mean, that deer was moving and shaking and, you know, that was a very old deer. He was actually a six by six, you know, like, so, I mean, they move, they, you know, they cover a lot of ground. Um, you know, expect when you get closer to the rut, right. So, yeah. well, I mean, I could have sat on that side of the ridge if I had access to that pub, that private land, I'm sorry. I could have, you know, I probably would have, if I wouldn't have shot him, I would have shot something else, but who knows where it would have came from. So I think, there's a different, what I'm trying to say is there's a difference from I'm targeting that buck, the biggest, oldest buck, and I'm going to put a plan together to shoot them, you know, at any time or throughout the year or when bow season starts to, you know, I'm just going to climb up this best tree stand, my favorite tree stand. It's a funnel. And yeah. I, sh- and I shoot a decent one the first week of November every year because you, you can, right. all those things work um it's just that our conversation's more a little bit about that strategy for those you know those hardest to kill deer you know so
0: there's kind of yeah two different things we're really talking about here you know no and that that makes that's a very very good point is essentially you know that first kill first sit works very well for the time frame up to essentially like october 30th like Mm -hmm. that and then after that you're kind of saying that you know bets are off with exactly where these deer are going to be and what they're going to be doing and at that point you want to hunt really high traffic funnels is really what you're after with good winds
1: yep you're right right. and i and i know that i've seen that you you posted on that before i think last year and you're right on you know and and that's when it gets that's why the rut's fun at the same you know at the same time that's why it's a ton of fun i mean yeah You know, I've had some rut hunts where I've seen, you know, um, (laughs) four, four or five deer over that 125-ish mark, you know, I mean, even on a new property down in Missouri and Iowa years ago in Illinois, different parts of Wisconsin where, you know, it may not be killing them all or kill, maybe not even shoot one that day, but where, you know those hunts are just to your point. You pick that best travel funnel and just get up there and and sit there all day, basically. You know, right. you know, definitely a big fan of, of all day sits during some time of the year. Um, yeah. You know, but then doing whatever it takes. You know that deer I shot on September fourteenth this year. I I set that stand at eleven a.m. in September and I sat in it till six forty-five. You know, I mean
0: okay. never.
1: I've never done that before but my my guess was was that that buck um wasn't quite on there's a big mountain um basically upwind and to the west and north of where that deer basically lived a big mountain of oak timber and I was on the slope down to get into some of the ag and the beans and some lower stuff and I my bet was was that that deer was going to not be quite to my slope of the mountain bedded for the afternoon at that time. So that when I'm getting set, actually hanging that stand, climbing up and getting set, he's not in any kind of a bed midday or afternoon where he's looking down and seeing movement. You know, my my sure. I, I bet that he was on the other side that day. He was on in a west-facing slope overlooking a road. And a different part of the area where he no idea, you know. My my guess was if I go in there at three thirty and sit till try to sit till dark, that he might have been moved already, and he might have I might have busted him out. So I'm just going to assume I was right. (laughs) No,
0: yeah. Well, he's dead. You
1: know.
0: No, I uh, I had a couple a couple instances this last year where, um, you know, early season, most people think just the last two hours of light and really the last half hour is where you're going to catch them. Right. Um, maybe last hour or something. So I had one instance, this, this last year where, um, I didn't realize it, but I was again, hunting on the edge of a bedding area in the winter. I've checked it out. It was like, why are all these deer coming from here? And there's just beds scattered throughout this whole thing. I'm like, all right, well, this is where they're bedding. Uh, but, you know, let's just say it was getting dark at eight 30. I was getting squared away and set right about five 5 o'clock somewhere in there. And after i sat the whole night, didn't see a deer, got down, checked my camera, you know, 20 yards away. And there was one in there an hour before I got there. There was, I call him the skyscraper eight. Cause he's just got like, I, I don't know, maybe 12 inch g 2s they're just super tall. Um, and, uh, and he was in there at like four o'clock walking through. And I was like, son of a bitch. I, you know, I could have got there early. I just chose not to, <laughs> you know, because um, it was like 75 degrees. And I was like, "Ah, oh, they're probably not going to move till later anyway, you know. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not if people want to sit during that time frame, but you like go for it. But one of the most interesting things that you said, which is a topic that I believe in, but I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about it and uh and it's something that i don't have enough information on to like really say it's true or not it's just a belief in my opinion but it's that people tend to think that bucks get done with their food at night at you know 3am 4am and they go and lay down in a bed and they don't move for you know 14 hours that they're there in that exact same spot and i don't think they are i nope. think that have multiple beds and that they use throughout the day like two or three or four and so you're saying that 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 you think that's true as well
1: that's true yeah i i know that's true for a fact um so you're right you know there's not a bed or one bed. um you know if you spent and if you spend enough time doing some all-day sits you know in areas that there are a lot of bucks okay so you know your Iowas if you got a good access there. If you ever get it, you know get a tag or Northern Missouri or certain parts of Wisconsin. If you got the right property that doesn't have a lot of pressure on it or around it, if you have a lot of lot of mature bucks, right, a good r- ratio. If you just do spend enough time in the woods doing some all day sits, you'll see exactly what you're saying, and you'll you'll see you'll see literally see it with your own eyes. Uh, that bucks will use different beds so my I'm going to give you that this is uh, honest to god truth it's going to sound crazy my first year hunting Iowa I hunted uh, a very secluded valley Um, even called it like the destiny valley just because I just knew you know I'm going to get my best buck up there or at least I thought I did (laughs) yeah I had the same six by five I had the same six by five made it up, up into this valley between 8.30 and 8.40 every morning, nine mornings in a row. <laughs> it was, well, just hold on, I'll get to the bedding in a minute. It was four mornings, um, the first hunt I could do down there. Then I had to go back, I had to go back uh, up to Wisconsin and work for a week, went back to hunt, and the next five mornings in a row, even later, he did the exact same thing. That buck would bed for between five and 15 minutes every time he came up there in the exact same spot. So he didn't get there until 8.30 a.m., pure daylight, right? And he yeah. came to a different bottom over a top of a pasture, and he came down into this timbered valley, and he'd bed in the exact same spot, he didn't get there, he didn't bed in the same direction every time, but it was in the same, I'll call it a 10-yard uh, uh, finger, like a finger of pine trees that jutted out like a hog's back off this valley, okay, down in, and he's, he could look down into the whole valley. I could not kill that deer. I'd set my stand here, the wind would change, I'd set it over here, then I'd set it over here. I sat in, a, I only sat in, I think, the same tree maybe twice maybe that hunt I never killed him. I videoed him I saw him every morning I never got an arrow in that deer and he so my point is like to your to, to support your your thinking your belief I watched him with my own eyes lay down every single time I mean it was minutes it was minutes he'd lay and then he'd leave he' he'd go down and then he he'd pop off to this side nine mornings. Every single hunt, every AM hunt, and never ended up killing that deer. He's Man. beautiful, beautiful deer. I don't know who shot him or, or whatever. We never found his antlers either, but he's beautiful. Um, <laughs> I killed a different one my, <laughs> last, my last morning. And in the you're going to really laugh at this. So I see him that morning. I don't get another shot. I actually set up on the other side of the valley because he sometimes leave that way. So away from his bed, I was about 120 yards from that little bedding hogs back of his. So when he left it is when I saw him that, that last morning. So he came down, he worked his way up. I couldn't get a shot. He went away. So then about two hours later, I had uh, two other bucks come through and they went off to the one side. So I grunted them back and I just decided whatever one comes back, I'm shooting. So I shot him. <laughs> a pretty nice nine came charging right at the tree. I'm up in the tree, that big one comes back over the top. No. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't even get out of my climber yet. I was up there goofing around, you know, kind of, you know, just after you shoot something, adrenaline's all going. I was. I think I might've even called my dad or something from the tree stand, and uh, from my climber. And that big one literally, walked right <laughs> about 40 yards from me through the timber i don't think i could have shot him anyway because they were so <laughs> thick but my, yeah. my anyway, back to my point is is but he was there man <laughs> no, I, I, I back just to tease me one last time you know just like yeah like, you know, you idiot but um but you know, so anyhow, you know that that buck would bed in that same spot for a few minutes. That wasn't his only bed of the day. I mean, he who knows where else he was going and right. you know bedding or whatever. But they they don't do that, and you'll see that more. I have other examples too of even like just smaller bucks, two and a halfs, where you know they'll come in bed right. You know they might bed in range of you sometimes, but they're not yeah. laying there for for ten hours. You know they might lay there for thirty minutes you know, whatever, but so you're right, you know, and, and, and I don't, it's just, they don't just stay in one spot. There's no way.
0: Right. No. And I, yeah, I I always, I've always thought that I've always thought when they get done feeding at about four or 5. AM, they go somewhere for what's, what I would call like their secondary bed, which is just a place where they just go chillax and relax for, you know, an hour or whatever and just let their food digest. And then when you catch them in the morning, that morning movement that you actually see, it's them going to their general like bedding area where they want to stay for the whole day. And they'll go lay down, but it's within a couple acres and they'll move around in that couple acres throughout the day, depending on wind direction, what if they want to get up and browse some food a little bit and then lay back down. But I've always thought like they never just stay in like a bed and just lay there all day. They'll get up and move around. They will. I mean, they will. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So that buck that, uh, one of the parts of that story, that non-typical that I didn't get a crack at 30 yards, man. And I was so pissed because I, I was leaning as far as my safety harness would let me to trim a branch and I couldn't get, there was a branch that was blocking this like lane and I couldn't get it. And that's where he walked right through. And it was like, probably, you know, maybe a foot off the end of my bow when I was shooting. So if I would have clipped that branch, my arrow, who knows where it would have gone. You know, it's not, it wasn't like, you know, that branch was right in front of his vitals. Cause then I, you know, if it's a foot from his vitals, yeah, I'm just going to shoot through that, but not, you know, a 29 yard shot after a possible deflection. So that is the one down fall with my own style
1: of hunting always going somewhere different is oftentimes you know you don't have the best shooting lanes uh right. have, so so i have gone a lot to just actually sitting on the ground sometimes your better lanes are if you're if you're on the ground you can yeah. um so that's kind of how i make my decision i mean there's been times i've even packed a climber quite a ways and end up not even using it i just lay it down because i just know that if i go up i won't be able to shoot i have yeah. missed bucks by hitting trees. Absolutely. You know, I've hit a couple limbs and sticks that, you know, I, I didn't know were there or didn't see them, you know, when I, when I pull back because everything changes. So it's not, it, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, doesn't, for sure. it doesn't work for everybody. I mean, some, some dudes or some people, some, you know, I guess women too, uh, some hunters, you know, just won't be comfortable with that moving and shaking all the time. And, you know, they want their their spots turnkey. They don't wanna know they have really wide lanes and all that. Now, when I set up properties for people, I definitely don't set them up like I would be hunting them. Where right. you know, you know, I actually have a system and how I clear lanes 3D where I strap uh um a wire. Up at belt length, and then I run it down, and I actually cut around the one, you know. So I I do things differently for people that you know clients and stuff when when I set them up, and and definitely when I put them in tree stands. But uh, you know, I, I like the challenge personally uh, of uh, what it what it means for me to you know have to pick out that right tree. I mean, honestly, there's there's nothing more satisfying than you know going to a nuke, scouting a property online driving through the night going to it in the dark sight unseen you know finding that funnel that you marked on onyx or whatever before onyx was all we used google earth and then uh getting to that spot and setting a climber in the dark or just at first light and then then getting in uh to a mature buck within bow range even if you can't kill it even if you can't get a shot or even if he's just out of range um but that is awesome and that that's something that uh know i really push myself i want to experience that i don't you know i like not knowing what deer it's going to be you know i love knowing it's just i know i'm going to see a good one today in this spot sometime between 8 9 a.m and and i like to make it happen you know so that's what drives me um you know i get a lot of satisfaction that that way it's just how i like to hunt and no i
0: yeah i i enjoy that same that same style. And I, and I laugh because I do saddle hunt. I do have a saddle and, uh, um, I know that's, uh, uh, I'm not part of the saddle cult. I'll (laughs) I'll say that right away. (laughs) I think there's a time and a place for everything. I don't think it's the end all be all to, to stand hunting, but, uh, I have many, many times gone into the woods with that thing and had, or the reason I say that is because anybody who saddle hunts or a lot of these people who are on the forums and stuff like that, they always post about how high they can get in a tree, how, how tall they can get. You know, I can get 25 feet up. I can get 30 feet up with this system, blah, blah, blah. There's, I don't think I've ever been able to, when I'm just kind of like hanging and banging, get up over four sticks, four climbing sticks. Like, I mean, 16 feet seems to be like where you start to lose at all your shooting lanes. Uh, There's a lot of times I'm at that 12 foot range just so I can see over the vegetation and see what's coming. You know, but I I definitely agree. There's there's many scenarios where uh, being on the ground gives you more opportunity. You can't see the deer coming. So you just got to be on your game and you can't be, you know, playing on Facebook all day. But, you know, when they're in there, you actually get a shooting lane and you're actually able to get them, you know, and it's also it's kind of like that's one of those things that is just so fun when you're on the ground at eye level with them and you're trying to outmaneuver them like that is I've done that a a few times and been uh, I have not been successful at it, but it's it's a hell of a rush. I'll tell you that
1: you will be if you try it enough times and when you do it's it is the biggest adrenaline like you just said it the biggest adrenaline rush there is hunting you know I, I've uh, the couple that I've shot that way like eye level on the ground just were awesome you know just yeah. awesome yeah, if I could just relive those you know just just it would be it'd be I'd be a happy guy so yeah. you'll make, make it happen and you're right though I don't I don't set a stand for people higher than like 15 feet at the seat really um you know for clients of mine and sure. me, some of Stands are prop could be could be a little bit higher, you know. When I used to set a lot of tree stands, but not much, you know. I I don't really get into that when people start talking about how high they climb. It doesn't make any
0: sense. Um, okay, you know. So well, I got so two things. One is um, lane clearing. I like like you and I are in the same boat just based on what you said. You kind of trim around that wire. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people that will you know, just rather than trim the branches, they'll just cut down the whole tree and they'll just like totally alter the vegetation in that area to create a lane. And now you can drive a truck through it versus really all you want to do is throw an arrow through it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you're in the same boat, just trim as minimal as possible to be able okay. to get an arrow through. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I I'm definitely on board with that. And then also that additional vegetation provides you cover to draw and to get situated and move and things like that. So that's a, that's a tip that I, that I've made a video on and never posted just because I didn't, but I'll probably post it this coming year, but I do have a scenario. So here's a scenario for you that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, uh, in this, I'm hunting kind of a crick bottom valley. Okay. And, uh, it's the only, the, I can't access from the North From the north side of the valley and drop into it, I have to access from the south. So I have to come down my hill. And then if then all the trails are on the north hillside, so I want to be able to shoot them. And I can shoot, you know, generally, like, I mean, I want to keep it within 40 yards. But, uh, but I can see out to like the hillside itself is about 80 yards. So, um, but I don't want to push up onto it because the trails are roughly from the bottom where my stand currently I have set up, the first trail is at like 42 yards. And then it gets, uh, you know, further distance from there. But the best bucks that have come through there based on trail cameras come through on that 42-yard trail. They don't really come up on the higher side. They always come through the bottom. I haven't figured out why yet, but it just seems like that's the one that they use. Um, and I did have one. I did push up into it. So I could shoot the other trails. And that one time I pushed up into it and I neglected that, that trail at 42 yards. I was past that. That was like 15 yards behind me. I had a really nice nine come in behind me about 140 inch nine. And he picked me cause I played the wind going back to that trail. He picked me and took off. Mm-hmm. But, uh, one of my thoughts was I was, ha- I'm having swirling wind issues down in that Valley. Like that thing is just whipping around. Do you think if I got higher, that would neglect or start to uh, not neglect, but start to minimize that swirling wind and minimize my center. Do you think it wouldn't even matter? Can you can you make yourself? Can you set up above the top of that hill, like or the ridge or the above the highest
1: point? You mean? No, or? no, I don't think it will matter then. Um, okay, and even even then, it might it may not. Um, if I'm picturing it properly, yeah. You know, yeah well, I, I, the
0: valley the valley's is probably like 60 70 feet deep and i'm not getting 75 feet up right yeah. <laughs> so no i mean i'm at i'm at like 18 feet or something like that i just have my i have four sticks that are spaced out pretty far apart um but uh, i was thinking maybe i should throw a stick or two in there and maybe get my wind to minimize but i was oh. also thinking it's probably going to swirl in there anyway and oh. an extra 10 feet won't matter
1: It won't. But if you hunt it in the morning,
0: when the thermals rise, you should be okay if it's a morning, if you can sit it in the morning. I mean, yeah, well, that's see, and that's like, honestly, that's the hardest part right now is because uh, it is best in the morning, but it also like it seems like the wind does not know what to do in the morning. Like, it's like, oh, do I heat up? Do I cool down? Do I do this? Do I do that? Because that creek is flowing through there as well, which brings in a lot of cold air. And then the valley does slope like downhill. And I haven't, I just haven't been able to figure out, like there's been times where I've sat in it and right away in the morning, it's a north wind, a northwest wind. And an hour into it, it's a southeast wind. And then it's just a straight west. And then I'm like, I, and I'm just getting every deer that I'm seeing is just blowing on me so i was just trying to figure out a way to hunt it and i hunted it two evenings and like four three or four mornings in that general area and uh the evenings i never i had clean winds good clean winds and in the mornings i always had swirling winds so i'm thinking maybe if i maybe that's it i can only hunt it in the evening and i just have to hunt a different area in the mornings and just hope that they come through in the evening because that wind swirls just so much. And I have a buddy who's, uh, hunting like 20 minutes away, very similar issues. So he bought an Ozonics and he said in the swirling winds, the Ozonics is kind of meh, like whether or not it's actually going to do anything, but in the straight line winds, he's had it do very well when it's just like straight West and it's consistent. So that was, that was his thoughts on it. Um, guy i trust a lot but uh but no that was just a curiosity thing that i that i had there um but uh but no it's uh the for your clients just trimming those lanes you know like you were saying like 15 feet 16 feet no real issues to go higher do you mainly do do have you found any difference between uh ladder stands versus hang-ons versus climbers for clients like if deer notice one more than the other or like big box blinds and stuff?
1: No, no. I'm typically setting ladder stands, uh, and, or, uh, certain fixed sets. You know, I basically ask, uh, when it's a client, I ask them, what do they like? And then, you know, if it's a brand partner or something of mine, if I can get them a good deal, I try. If it's sometimes they like, they like a certain, you know, stand and, Um, Sometimes I do is, you know, again, there's the two pieces, there's the assessment, the planning, and then there's the actual uh, property management habitat work. I don't always do the setup on the properties for clients. But I, you know, but of course, I always do the assessments and the planning, right? So yeah, so sometimes I'm just hired to do the first half. And then I don't, you know, but when I when I do both, which that's obviously when people have more success. And then I'll, I ask their preferences, you know, I, you know, and if they ask me for recommendations, I try to have a, a little bit of um uh, of an idea, like it's all about like safety. Right. So when you start setting properties up for people, that's a big, that's a difference. Now I'm into insurance. Um, you know, there's more, it's a different kind of, you know, it's a different half. Sure. Of the and you know, you want to waivers and not, you know, being very careful and having them buy their own stands and stuff. So I, there's, I got, you know, legal counsel on, or guidance on how to do that. Um So I'll typically say, you know, you buy your stuff, put it together, I'll set it up for, you know, show you where, that kind of a thing. So, but no, I don't think, I don't think the deer, it's all about how they're hunting it anyway. Again, I'll go right back to it's access, it's when, it's the pressure, even when someone, and then it's how they hunt. Like you kind of said something before about sitting on the ground, you know, it can't be on your phone and stuff. And I mean, you know, you can have the best plan and the best management and the best stand set, but if someone can not sit there all day or sit still or, you know, they're, you know, it's still, you still got to hunt, right. You know? Right.
0: Yeah. 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 You can only do so much for them. All right.
1: Well, I got really good people though that like to get after it that I work, work for. So,
0: yeah, no, that seems, yeah. I'm sure with, with you actually having, you know, a full-time day job and having referrals and stuff, you kind of get to pick like, man, I do not want to work for that guy again. Or, (laughs) (laughs) or, yeah, no, I bet there are people that are, you know, that take your advice and actually do it do what they're told and, and have valuable input back to you and work with you on it. And they're actually like, you know, trying to get it done. Like I can imagine that that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, All right. So I have a few questions we're rolling up almost on an hour and a half here. And I know you got other things to do. You got a big day ahead of you tomorrow. And so do I. So I got a few questions here and if you could just rattle off answers, maybe a a few, um, a few sentences afterwards.
1: Okay. Um, no,
0: you, you are not allowed to say, well, it depends on the scenario. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready? All right. Um, when your best odds to kill a mature buck early season, pre rut rut or late
1: specific mature buck or any in general, mature
0: buck, any, any in general, Rut, rut. Do you think that, do you think that varies based on the property? Do you think some properties lay out for the rut in some lay early season? Yes. Okay. Um, do you walk to your tree stand or would you drive a four-wheeler? I will do whatever it takes to kill that buck. I'll swim it. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you wear neoprene boots or no neoprene boots? No neoprene boots. I wear uh crispy pro guide uh okay
1: well what they are but they're not neoprene okay do you, uh does that scent trail matter or not uh it, it can and it does um you
0: know but again if you're entering the right way and using the wind the right way it doesn't matter okay and the last question i have is um what states What states are you going to hunt this year? I know you already mentioned Illinois, possibly.
1: This year, I'm really going to change it up. I'm going to focus Wisconsin archery uh, to go after uh, a repeat top 10 finish in the quest with my buddy. <laughs> but, um, I'm going to actually throw it back. I'm going to hunt Upper Michigan archery a little bit i got some massive tracks of public land i've been looking at the last three years during trout and steelhead season i think i got a pretty good one pinned down actually from this last weekend steelhead uh nice and that's yeah. why you were out there oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um yeah a lot of people be surprised about that because there's very 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 few mature bucks in the up but i'm that i want to challenge so i'm going to go back and go hunt some of the uh, the ground and my dad and people way before him, you know, hunted. I'm going to maybe do Illinois, like I said. I'm, I'm looking at that quest option. And other than that, I got a new, new day job coming this year.
0: So I'm not going to have as much time to hunt. So. Oh, no shit. Good I'm for moving. you, man. I'm moving. Like, are you moving, like, actual locations? Well, we can talk about this offline. Um, <laughs> Stay in Wisconsin. A- Staying, Staying with, in Wisconsin. Okay. You're not going to have to pay that hefty uh, non resident tag that Wisconsin charges, huh? God. <laughs> God, man. That is like, you know, Illinois is 500 bucks, you know, no. and uh, Wisconsin's 150. <laughs> Same with. Oh. What's that? If you triple it. Oh, I know. Like, I mean, with five, what, what is it, like four or 500,000 hunters, like, yep yeah i i I agree there's a lot of those i'm sure we can talk for another hour on the proposed regulations that are coming up proposed changes (laughs) because some people had a bad year last year like talk about like a shock reaction like that's it's just ridiculous we're in the era of panic
1: and chicken shit leadership in all areas of life oh my God.
0: god it is like people had a bad year and they want to just go, oh, we need to change all the regulations because well, they're entitled. Don't you know that? No, it's just- right. I know. God. Um, but, uh, but anyway, Hey, so if people liked, people like the information that, that you gave out on here, people want to learn more about you and what you do and how you consult and things like that. Where, where can they find you? best way is probably just look at my
1: Instagram it's Matt underscore spats and send me a message they can they can connect through you actually you know if you're willing sure. to do that, um,
0: they listen to to Commission the, commission fee I'm, ah. a, I'm a sales I'm a salesman I take well, commission
1: you know <laughs> oh you know you know, it's funny you know what I do is I give I at least give gear um, I've done that for every referral and you know Whatever
0: it is, I got all kinds of stuff, or even uh, hunting. Uh, products, whatever. I'm I'm totally kidding. If, if anybody, I I appreciate the time that you're giving me. So if anybody contacts me, I'll just send them your way, free of charge.
1: No, I <laughs> appreciate that. Yeah, no. So uh, I I would do that. The Matt Matt underscore Spets at Instagram, or even just uh, I think my my company email is dear nerd official official at gmail.com because someone already stole the just the deer nerd i don't know why <laughs> that, but um yeah sure. let me make sure i have that yeah it's uh deer nerd dot official
0: at gmail.com yeah. okay i'll make sure to include it in uh in the notes when i put this out and i may even get the website
1: posted because my accountant is gonna make me i think
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds good oh, you are an actual business <laughs> oh yeah oh yes yeah. Right? everything yeah no that makes sense all right man well i really appreciate ha- having you on and again you guys if you have any questions or anything matt's a wealth of knowledge and i'm sure he's willing to help you out a little bit but if you want him to actually come out and take a look at the property and really analyze it you're gonna have to pay him a million dollars yeah. Less <laughs> money. All right. Sounds good, Matt. I will uh catch you later, man.